Welcome to Nutrition Grad Guide. I'm your host, Shana Sapi, a qualified nutritionist and multi-passionate entrepreneur. I created this podcast to help nutrition grads just like you navigate your way into a career and a life that you love. In each episode, I'm going to bring you interviews with experts in the nutrition and health field, exploring a range of different career pathways. We'll learn about what they do, how they got there, and their advice to help you grow a successful career as a nutritionist or a natural health professional. Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest on the podcast is the brilliant Dr. Yael Joffe, who is joining me all the way from South Africa, which is super exciting. And she is doing incredible things in the field of nutrigenomics. So there's a whole range of amazing things, and I won't even do it justice trying to give her an introduction. But some of the things on her brilliant resume are things like teaching at universities, being one of the people in the team to found the first nutrigenomics genetic testing. She started up a company called 3x4, which is all about nutrigenetics. Um, And we're going to dive into each of these deeper today. And I'm so grateful to have you here. So thank you so much for joining me, Dr. Yale. Uh, Thanks, Shana. Great to be here. Yeah, it's such a pleasure. So let's get into it by learning a little bit about how you first got interested in the nutrition and dietetic space. So it's a bit of a roundabout story because I actually didn't set out with the intention of being in kind of health or health science. I actually started out in architecture and had a, a absolutely no background in science yeah. um, and was studying architecture and was actually loving it. And um, my grandmother died from cancer. So I had one grandparent who I was extremely close to um, who kind of helped raise me. And all of a sudden, you know, they discovered she had cancer, pretty much opened her up, found that she was riddled with it, closed up and said like, she's got three months to live. And um, in my naivety at the time of being 18 or 19, I was like, this, you know, this can't happen. And they can't just give us this like glib answer of like, there's nothing we could have done. There was like nothing I could do to help her. I was like making her vegetable soups and fruit salads. You're like, you know, she was like end stage cancer. Poor woman didn't even want to eat. And I was like, surely, you know, we, we could have done better. We could have known it was coming. We could have prevented it. So I spent quite a lot of time by her bedside and running back and forth to architecture lessons. And at some point near the end, when she was dying, I was like, you know what, this is just not good enough. You know, architecture is great and all, but I actually really feel like someone needs to try and understand, you know, what you could have done better so that you didn't get so sick. And I mean, she was this big, big woman, you know, and she landed up being like 30 kilograms when she died, which is absolutely devastating. So that's pretty much what happened. After she passed, I resigned resigned from architecture and I went in search of what I had in my head as being a health degree and um this is this is like 1988 89 and there was no such thing as a health degree I mean even nowadays you have to work really hard to find a degree in health and I looked around all the things on offer and it was obviously medicine um food technology food science obviously none of those appealed to me so the only degree that really struck me as being close to what I was looking for was dietetics Yep. And um, so I, I had to go back and kind of learn some physics and, and, and chemistry of which I knew nothing. Yep. Landed up in my dietetics program only to discover that the whole thing was a complete disaster in my opinion. So like three mm-hmm. weeks into my program, they were like, oh, we're going to give our patients chocolate cake and ice cream to give them calories and macronutrients. And I was like, 
I just remember this like feeling of dread of like, oh my God, here I am chasing this dream of trying to, you know, health. I was reading books on macrobiotics. I was reading Patrick Holford and I go into a degree and they tell me chocolate cake and ice cream. So, you know, it was just this like sense of, you know, is this the best we have to offer? And I, I was at a real turning point of like, do I stay and finish this degree or do I go? And, you know, I um, got some advice. Anyway, I decided to stay, yeah. finish my degree, never got any better, not, not at all. It was like three years of hell. Then I went and did two years of postgrad, never got better, was still the same bad dietetics. So I was like the worst person in the, in the, in the student body. Like the lecturers hated me because I was just miserable for the entire five years. And I thought I was pretty smart. I was reading all these other books about optimum nutrition and kind of challenging everything that every diet, every lecturer said. They hated me. I think they were really happy. Anyway, I finished my degree and I came out as a dietitian with still absolutely no sense of what I'd gone into to, to find yep. and not even knowing where to go look for answers, which I think was, was the hardest part for me. And so I did what most of us do. I think Australia does it as well, is we put on a backpack and we go traveling yeah. when we're you know, finished our degree and we're looking for some of life's answers. And I landed up in London um, and I had a degree. So I was like, well, it's better to work, you know, as a dietitian than as a waitress, earn more money. And I landed up working at this little clinic in Harley Street in London, um, quite an quite a actually evolved clinic when I look back, you know, compared to the rest of nutrition that was being done. And one day um, we were approached by this extraordinary woman, Dr. Uh, Rosengill Garrison, who was the founder and only employee of a company called Saona. And, and Rosalind was a, a geneticist and she had this vision that the future of medicine would be nutrition and genetics. Yeah. That she really believed that, and this is in 2000. So we're talking about like 20, 21 years ago. Yeah. She believed that um, everything would change when we could understand the relationship between genetics and nutrition. And she was looking for a dietitian to work with to help her build a genetic test um, that would define this. Anyway, when I met her, I was like, this is like insane. Like what's, there's no relationship between genetics and nutrition. Like, you know, you're mad. Like anyway, but I spent a couple of days with her and, you know, we read through some studies. I didn't understand anything. I barely knew what a gene was, then run a chromosome. And, but there was something about what she was talking about that excited me. There was something, even though I didn't understand that there was just something about finding answers in what she was saying that really kind of got me excited. And you know, at that time, she didn't have much choice of finding a dietitian who specialized in genetics because they pretty much did not exist in the entire world. Yeah. So I was like willing and keen. And I was like, you know, and she's like, would you like to come work with me? I was like, brilliant. I know nothing. <laughs> but I'll, I'll learn. I'll learn. And so I joined um, as a second employee of Sona, um, which landed up moving to the US yeah. um, and being a US company. But we built the first ever nutrigenomics test in 2000. And this is, you know, she was, and I really give credit to, to Rosalind. She was such a visionary. This is at a time where the human genome had not even been drafted. This is a time before genetics was on the front page of Time magazine. You know, it was when no one wanted to know our story. I mean, it was amazing that they'd got some funding. And I remember it very clearly because I was like an absolute leper in the dietetics community. You know, I was like, this is science fiction and it's career limiting for you. And there's no relationship between genetics and nutrition. <laughs> I wasn't invited to 
conferences. I wasn't invited to. I was like absolutely on the outside of all kind of mainstream nutrition yeah. and was told clearly that I was like had completely like lost the plot anyway. Oh. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of how I landed up. Um, that's how I landed up in, the, in, the, in this amazing industry 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, being in the right place at the right time, meeting the right person, I always say. Yeah, that's so powerful, isn't it? It always comes back to the right connections. And yeah, that being in the right place at the right time was really meant to be. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my career is so much when I look back around those tipping, tipping points of meeting someone yeah. who, when you're just kind of facing a wall or an obstacle or a bottleneck and you just don't know where to turn, it's often that chance meeting of someone extraordinary yeah. um, that if you're open to, can really give you what that next path is, you know, where that pivot is in, in your journey. Yeah, that is so brilliant. What a journey. And so when you developed that test, what was the next step? You mentioned you moved to America um, and the test was obviously developed. Where did it go from there? So I moved to the States and to be honest, for the first couple of years, I still didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I really didn't. And we had a team of three of us, two geneticists and myself. And it became apparent to me very early on that the geneticists were doing the cool stuff. They were actually building the test. And I got to talk about nutrition, you know, dietary recommendations and supplements. And that was like never going to work for me. And I, I felt, you know, I was kind of isolated from my own community, but I was also kind of the outside of this really amazing test development. And I knew that my knowledge was just so superficial and that no matter how many textbooks I read, it just wasn't going to do it. So I actually decided to go back to university, which I did. Yep. And I, I, I was like faced with this, like, should I do a PhD in, genetic, in, in, in dietetics? And I was like, well, that didn't work well for me. So I decided to, to really go, go, go heavy or go home. And I, I did a PhD in genetics. Yep. And in fact, I did a PhD in nutrigenomics, okay. which was pretty extraordinary in itself because it didn't exist. <laughs> and so... We had to, I came, I actually did my um, PhD at University of Cape Town here in South Africa. Yep. And there wasn't a single person in South Africa who could be my supervisor because it just didn't exist. Wow. So we, we built a degree. I, I just had, I had like an extraordinary department. They said, you know what, we'll, we'll, we'll craft together a group of scientists who together will make up nutrigenomics. So we had, you know, um, obviously a geneticist, we had a nutritionist epidemiologist a biostatistician so I didn't actually have a supervisor in epigenomics but I had these like people who were like brilliant on different elements of nutrigenomics yeah. and so um it took me a really long time to get my PhD I was obviously working full-time I had two children um uh, moving a few cities but it was an extraordinary experience in, in that I was forced to go into a lab and I was forced to actually do my own genetic work, not buying kits in and outsourcing it. I actually had to mix reagents. It, it was horrible, really, really hard. Um, but it taught me, like, it, it forced me to, to really get to grips with what genetics is and not just, um, you know, nutrition and genetics and, and that kind of interface. Yeah. So that was my big step. That was quite a big step. Incredible. Um, and then I'd say like the next extraordinary thing that happened to me was meeting Dr. Ruth DeBasque. Mm -hmm. And so, so I was saying that there's been these probably three, four extraordinary women that came into my life. The first was Roslyn. The second one was Dr. Julia Goodica, who landed up being my head supervisor, who was extraordinarily brave in her own way to craft together a PhD for me yeah. and, and to guide me through that. Yeah. The third um, 
um, is, is Dr. Ruth Dubas, who has truly been my mentor probably since the early 2000s and still continues to be. And Ruth, um, who is older than me, was the first person ever to have a PhD in genetics and um, a degree in dietetics. Wow. So I was probably like the second, and she was by far the first. And she did it like decades before me. And she had written a book called The Genetic, Genetics Nutrition Connection or something like that in 2003. Yeah. And it was the first book I ever wrote, I read, wrote, read around, around nutrigenomics. Yeah. And I, was, I, I read it like 20 times. It wasn't even a great book. I just kept on rereading it. I was like just so inspired that, that someone had put this down into a book. So yeah. when I moved to the US, I called her up. You know, mm -hmm. so we have something in Yiddish that says chutzpah, which is having a cheek, right? Like being a bit cheeky. So I phone her up and I say like, you know, hi, I'm Yael from South Africa. I'm a dietitian. You know, I love, this is like six, seven years before I got a PhD. So I'm just a dietitian. I've read your book 20 times. Like mm -hmm. you're my hero and I'd love to work with you. Yeah. And she is like the kindest, nicest, most humble, generous person that I've ever met. And very indulgent. And she said, oh, that's so nice. And, and, and anyway, and I was like, well, I'd love to meet you and I'd love to talk to you. And she, she was just great. And then I said to her, you know, I know this is going to be a bit forward, but I'd love to write a book with you. Wow. And she's like, well, I'm kind of writing a book already for the American Dietetics Association. I was like, oh, that's so disappointing. And she said, but you know what? Just send me your idea and, you know, I'll look at it. And again, Ruth just being Ruth. Anyway, long story short, um, I sent her my idea, managed to convince her. Yeah. Um, she resigned from the other book. Uh, wow. We wrote a book together. Yeah. It's called It's Not Just Your Genes in 2005. Um, I mean, the best part is we got to work together so closely to write the book. Um, I got to learn an extraordinary amount from her. Yeah. Um, and, and it was one of those decisions you make in your career that, that really changed things, you know, that, so, so I, Obviously, I had no bargaining position. I was like a nothing in the US. Like she was the she was like the founder of nutrigenomics in, in dietetics in the US. And I was like no one. It's a dietitian from South Africa. And I realized that if I could just associate myself with her, then eventually I would become closer to her, you know, in, in, in terms of being known. Yeah. And she was number one, I was zero. And it was an extraordinary experience. I didn't, like, I was like, I'll write the book. I'll work at night. I'll work on weekends. I wasn't paid. I didn't get any money out of it. There were no royalties. She took everything. And what happened was when the book launched, was published, everyone was like, who's this person writing with Ruth DeBuss? So I went from being like nothing to being number two yeah. because I was associated with her. And, and so sometimes we make decisions in our career that are really hard and yeah. don't have any income yeah. and need lots of late nights, but, <laughs> but really can change everything. And I think yeah. the two things yeah. that changed everything for me were um, getting a PhD did actually change everything with, you know, it really does. It opens a lot of doors. Um, and the other thing was, was writing the book with Ruth and Ruth has continued to stay as my mentor, as my friend. I mean, we're 20 years into it now. Um, she's on my scientific advisory board. She still keeps me honest. She still checks up on me. And, and, and she's actually got into functional nutrition now. That's really my, you know, kind of owning that space. And she's like, you can take over nutrigenomics. I'm tired. I'll go into nutrigenomics. You know? So it, it, 
yeah, so all kind of amazing. I feel like I'm just talking. You should ask some questions. This is great. There's so much to tell. I'm like, yeah, really enjoying learning about all the incredible things you've achieved. <laughs> Can I tell you about one more extraordinary woman? Yeah, please do. Okay. So, the, the last extraordinary woman, and, and I'm sure I'm due for the next one to come up, was, um, so I, I, I worked with Sona for seven ages, and then I um, came back to South Africa to finish my PhD, and just, um, I think I was probably completely burnt out, as America can do to you, yeah. and um, I didn't, I was actually exhausted, and I, I didn't want to do anything with genetics, so I actually left Sona and focused on my PhD and built another little business that had nothing to do with genetics. Yep. Um, and I had my first child and I just didn't want to, well, I didn't really want to kind of do anything more. I felt that I, but you know, when you've been part of a venture capital invested company and then they close the doors. So, so and eventually closed their doors after eight years, which was devastating to me. I just needed, you know, some time away. And, um, so I actually stayed away from genetic testing per se for a very long time. Yeah. And one of the things I realized when I was had time to think was that actually, you know, it's no use building genetic tests if practitioners don't know how to use them. Yeah. Because then you're, you know, what is this test? It's going out into the world and it's got no value, not to the not to the patient, consumer, or to the practitioner. Yeah. And I realized that doing a PhD in genetics was not the way to learn nutrigenomics because you just spend years in a lab, but you actually have no idea how to use it with your patients, like no idea. And so I, I really, I wanted to, I used to travel quite a lot and teach in workshops, but you can't travel and do a four hour workshop. And especially if you're based in South Africa. So I realized that the, the, the solution had to be to build an online course. Mm-hmm. And that if I could build an online course, I could teach, didn't matter where I was from, didn't matter where the students were from, didn't matter if they were a dietitian or a doctor, dentist or a chiropractor. Yep. So I set my heart on education and, and, and moving away from, from testing. Yep. And I was going to build this online course. That was my next kind of, as you say, passion project. Yep. But I, I was feeling a little bit like, where do I begin? Where should I start? And so whenever I'm feeling like at a crossroads, I go to a conference. I pick a conference that I feel will give me answers and I go. Mm-hmm. And I went to this conference in Italy in a little town called Castellamaria di Stabia. And it was a conference called NUGO, which is the Nutrigenomics Organization of Europe. Mm-hmm. Horrible, horrible conference. Horrible oh, no. conference. <laughs> like, worst ever conference, right? And I had a nine-month-old baby I left at home oh. and a three, three-year-old daughter. And off I went. So I was quite a miserable anyway. And this <laughs> conference was about data. It was like big data. Like, how do you buy machines that are worth millions of dollars and generate 20,000 data points. I was like, this is not what I was looking for. I was looking for, how do we make it meaningful? How do we translate it? How do we use it? How do we decide what recommendation is going to make? And the other thing about this conference is that barely anyone spoke English. They were all European, French and Spanish. and So I was lonely. I was grumpy. I was like missing my babies. Anyway, I'm standing in the queue at lunchtime thinking what a disaster this is when I, and no one's talking to me. I know no one. When I hear someone speaking English behind me, it's kind of whip around. And not only is it English, it's an Australian English accent, right? Yeah. So I'm like, oh my God, you you speak English. And I was like, that's a strong accent. You've traveled a really long way from, from Australia. So my sister lives in Australia. So I recognize the accent. So 
you've traveled really long way to come to a conference in Italy. Yeah. Anyway, so you are very lucky in Australia to have an extraordinary woman called Dr. Christine Horton. Mm-hmm. And um, she is a nutritionist, nutritional biochemist. She's got a PhD um, um, in, in pretty much in sulforaphane, which is an extraordinary in itself. I think she's a global expert in sulforaphane. Wow. Anyway, and I, I end up chatting to her and she's also completely miserable about the conference. Yeah. The two of us are having lunch together. We never go back. We never go back to the <laughs> lecture. And there's a bottle of wine on the table, which we drink. Yeah. And basically we spend three, three days, literally 20 hours a day talking about our passion for nutrigenomics. Yeah. And it turns out she's like, oh my God, you're ill. I've read your book. She's like been following me. She had written her own little book, which I absolutely love. And I talk about like nutrigenomic soulmates. Yeah. Um, and what happened with, with Christine is we realized that I had been following this career of studying genetic variation, SNPs, why we're different from each other, what that variability is. And that had been kind of my expertise. Yeah. And Christine had spent a lot of her career studying how does nutrition or nutrients, plant molecules, change gene expression? Yeah. And the truth of nutrigenomics as a field is it's both of those things. Mm-hmm. So I kind of talk about the yin and yang of nutrigenomics or the, 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 the kind of two-sided coin is you always need to understand what is my DNA sequence? How does that change how I appear in the world? How does it change how I respond to the world, which is my expertise? And then Christine's expertise is if I know about myself, if I under myself, understand myself at a genetic level, Mm-hmm. and I want to make changes I can use nutrition and, and exercise and meditation and all those things to change the way genes express themselves to change the way genes switch on and off Christine's mm-hmm. expertise so suddenly I realized that even though I was like 15 years into my career I was missing 50 percent of the knowledge that I actually needed yeah. and here was this extraordinary woman who had that 50 percent yeah and she hadn't really studied my stuff right so we decided sitting in a hotel room on the floor one and and the last couple of hours before she before I flew out we decided I said would you like to I'm building a course would you like to join me and build me a module on what nutrigenomics is oh I would love that fantastic anyway we go back to our respective countries and lo and behold two years later we have built a mammoth course with 50% of the content is my content and 50% is, is Christine. So poor woman thought she was signing up for one module. She landed up building like six or seven. Yeah. And, and we, we built the first ever, um, tra- we call it translational nutrigenomics teaching program that had both genetic variation as well as gene expression. Wow. And Christine has um, not gone away. We still teach together. We write papers together. We do webinars together. We present at conferences together. We try to see each other a, a couple of times a year. I've been over to see her. In she lives in Brisbane. Been over to see in Brisbane, but she truly is an Australian treasure. And I do think she's one of the smartest women I know. But really, it changed everything for me. So, yeah. it so for the next five years, I focused on education and teaching, and teaching our program, which is available to practitioners all over the world. Yeah. Um, and that kind of brought me to my next. So every time like I do something, it brings me to um, like, it goes really well for like three, four years and I'm super excited. And then I realized that I'm missing things. Like I'm missing answers. And that's exactly what happened with um, education is that after like 
four years of education, I decided that um, if you're going to teach, you better be sure that what you're teaching works. So I opened a clinic, a nutrigenomics clinic in Cape Town with some dietitians and a doctor and to see whether what we're teaching in the course actually works really well in practice. And um, that was actually, it was great. I, I landed up back in practice for the first time in about 10 years, seeing patients and every patient had to do a genetic test, was, otherwise they couldn't come to us. And I also started training and mentoring other practitioners, other dietitians to become more expert in nutrigenomics. And they have gone on to be, well, they, they all work with me now yeah. and they've gone on to be really, really brilliant. And I realized that the greatest challenge we had was not whether what we were teaching was working or not. That, that came through with flying colors. Yeah. It was the genetic test I was using mm -hmm. in, my, in my clinic. And the genetic test I was using was from a company that I'd also co-founded called Dianalysis or DNA Life yeah. with a Dr. Danny Mansfeld. And Danny had, Danny had approached me and said, will you come build genetic tests? I said, sure. Danny ran the business in the lab and I built the genetic tests. Yeah. And I'd eventually um, left the analysis after about six, seven years as well, yeah. um, because I didn't want to be in testing and I had the clinic. And so I was using the de-analysis report in our clinic. Yeah. And, and I was like, every time I had a patient, I would get a black marker and cross out the recommendations, <laughs> cross it all out. Yeah. And I was like, well, this is not sustainable because it's not really fair to the patient who's paying a large amount of money to have their reports slashed. And I'm not using the information that the report's giving me. I'm just using it as a, a, a kind of giving me the genetic results. Yeah. I came to like that other like pivot again of, oh my God, you know, I've been doing this for 16, 17 years. Um, you know, I'm happy with education. I'm happy with clinic, but I actually don't have a tool that's really useful. Yeah. And the reason I'm yeah. giving you this whole long story is because actually everything that I'm telling you justifies 3x4 genetics the, yeah. the, the new company and and it all leads up and it all ties in right yeah um so i decided what do i do now i can't carry on using this genetic test i couldn't find a genetic test that i liked anywhere in the world mm -hmm. so either i must shut the clinic and go back to education or i must build a new genetic test yeah even though i kind of said i wouldn't build more genetic tests anyway <laughs> so off i went as i do to a conference and i went to a conference in seattle called plmi which is the Personal Lifestyle Medicine Conference, awesome conference, and it's slightly futuristic. So it's, what is the future of medicine? What's the new science coming out? How are things going to be done differently? And I, while I was at this conference, I, was, I had this amazing epiphany. This time it wasn't a person. It was yeah. a conference of, you know, you cannot build a genetic test on science alone. Mm. And every test I'd built had been led by scientists, me included. But actually the reality is if you're building a test on science alone, you're building data. So when you get your cholesterol test back from the lab and your doctor shows it to you, it's meaningless. It's just numbers. It doesn't actually tell you what you must do with it. And I realized we had done exactly the same thing in genetics. So I couldn't build anything better because I was a scientist, but I had to find someone who could help me. So I went looking for, um, so I knew technology was one of the solutions. Yeah. And I also knew that we needed to create something interactive, something that patients and practitioners could engage with that would excite them and create a conversation for them. Yeah. And so I knew it had something to do with design and technology. So I found this extraordinary company in Cape Town called um, Sea Monster, and they were a gamification company and an animation company. Yeah. And they built 
games, but they don't build Candy Crush. They build what they call behavioral games. So how do we use gamification and technology to change people's behavior? Oh, amazing. Right? Which is <laughs> yeah. what you and I do, right? I yeah. mean, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to change people's behavior. Yeah. And they, they, so it's called, it's like behavioral economics. If I get someone to understand, do this or this, will they make new decisions? So yeah. if I went to meet them, taking all my genetic tests, and I had this idea, I wanted to build a genetic test that would run like gamification that would get people to change behavior. Anyway, initially they thought I was completely mad <laughs> and didn't really entertain me, but eventually they invited me into the boardroom. Yeah. And when I had a, had a chance to tell my dear, they absolutely loved it. And they're like, we can do that. And so we formed a partnership, um, Seamonster and myself, to build yeah. this a little genetic testing company um, where they would bring design, design thinking, technology, user experience, um, gamification, animation, everything you can imagine. And yep. I would bring the science. And that was really the beginning of 3X4. Although it wasn't 3X4 sometime because obviously we had to find an investor and that took years yeah. to find. But eventually, eventually um, we set up, um, I, I set up 3X4 Genetics, which is my current company. Yep. And um, the chief technology officer of Seamonster of joined me. He oh, left Seamonster and joined me. Yeah. Um, and that was his expertise, design, user experience, gamification. So we finally, you know, after, when did we launch 3X4? In 2018. So after 18 years, yeah, I finally came full circle, which is, you know, how do you build a genetic test that has education? So we, and then I took my education company and put it into 3X4. Brilliant. So how do we build a company that has great education? Yeah has really good science, yeah. has um, a report. I don't know if you've seen it. You probably haven't. I'll send you an email afterwards. I haven't seen that the report. Has, I've seen the, all the great info on the website, though. Okay, but you haven't seen the report. I was sending you the report. Okay. Yeah, that has um, gamification, design thinking, color, imagery, infographics, um, storytelling. So how do you build a report with all of that in? Yeah. Then we built um, a mentorship program so that you didn't just get educated by us. You yeah. actually got mentored once you started working with patients. Amazing. And then we built a community. So yeah. all the things that have been missing for me along the two decades, we managed to build into one company because you cannot just build a genetic test and think you'll be successful. Yeah. You need to build a whole ecosystem for the practitioner and the patient, which is yeah. I need to be constantly learning I need to be cared for and looked after and have somewhere to go and ask questions. I need to have a community that I didn't have when I started out yeah. where I can go and ask questions and know that I'm getting proper answers and I, and I need to have an amazing test. So that is the 20 year story that brings me to 2020, 2021. Just that is phenomenal how incredible and like yeah just listening to you, I'm just speechless by all that you've done and achieved and it's so cool the way they were all stepping stones to get you to where you are now and to allow you to create 3x4 and make it into the incredible offering that it is um, so in a nutshell what is it like are there separate portals for the patients and practitioners to log in because obviously you'd want slightly varied information or how does not it work really. no actually not so we're a practitioner-based company so yep. we do not sell our genetic test to to 
consumers. You can't buy it without going through a practitioner. Yep. So I also should say, sadly, that at the moment we're only in the United States and South Africa. We're not in Australia yet. That's so right. I'm sure there'll be a day you reach but Australia soon. Come. Yeah. So what happens is we have practitioners who come to us who join our network, who we educate, we mentor, we train. Yeah. They have patients who come to them. Yeah. And they say, well, we really want, a, 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 you really would benefit from having a genetic test of 3X4. Yeah. So we send them a kit in the post, which has got a, a cheek swab. So it's just a, a, a saliva swab, which they rub on the inside of the cheek, yeah. pop it in, send it back to us. Yeah. That information, it generates this kind of report, which is, who are you? We looked at 134 of your genes. Mm-hmm. We look at them in what we call pathway-based analysis. So we don't look at single genes by themselves, but rather how do genes work together? And how does that impact, not risk, we don't do risk, how does that impact how your body may be working? Yeah. Um, the practitioner has a portal mm-hmm. where they'll get notified, um, you know, Jane so-and-so's report is ready. Mm-hmm. Then the practitioner sets up an appointment with the, with the patient. So the yeah. patient does not get the report immediately. They only get it when the practitioner can explain what is going on. Mm-hmm. Even though the report has beautiful imagery and colors and explanations, the whole thing about genetics is you genetics isn't the only answer we have about ourselves. It's yeah. one of the answers we have about ourselves. So if I buy a genetic test online, I'm getting a genetic result. That person who did that report, which well, that computer algorithm who did that report has no idea who I am, yeah. why I came to see you, what my goals are, what my challenges are, what my preferences are, what my fears are. And so genetics in isolation without knowing who you are as a person is not valuable to you. And that's why we've gone the route of working with practitioners who are, who are understanding who are you, how can I help you? What are your health goals? What do we need to understand about you? Then they do the genetics and they say, okay, there was a huge piece of the puzzle that was missing for me about understanding who you are. Yeah. I get that piece of the puzzle of genetics. Now I really understand who you are as a person and I can help you make the best possible decisions yeah. um, to get to your health goals. And so then, so then the practitioner will explain the report, go through, and we built it with lots of colors and stories. So it's really easy for the practitioner to explain. Yeah. And then the practitioner will share the report with their patient and say, okay, well, here's your report. You can have it now. Yeah. So they're the same report. They're the same for the practitioner and the same for patient. But it goes through this kind of practitioner conversation to make sure that you as a patient or a customer are getting the maximum value out of that report. Yeah, that's so important. And it's fantastic that the practitioner is walking them through it. I, I really like that you they have to get it through the practitioner um, because, yeah, you're so right. There's so much context around that person and who they are and what they do that is really important and needs to be factored in. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's why I'm not a big fan of, you know, direct to consumer genetics. It's just, it's more than anything. It's actually undermined the true potential of genetics. You know, when we dream that genetics would give us answers until who we were. And then obviously this huge, and you know, I have no interest that ancestry is totally a a direct to consumer thing. You know, you do not need a practitioner to take you through an ancestry report. Yeah. But when you're talking about your health goals or weight or chronic disease, you cannot be doing it by yourself. You really need that practitioner to walk that journey with you. Yeah. And so, you know, in many ways we've, we, genetics was like the big, exciting future. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like we lost our way as an industry completely. Yeah. I think there was a lot of loss of trust in the industry. 
both at a kind of data privacy, but also from a value, like what does this actually tell me? Like I get my report and it's just not valuable to me. I wake up in the morning and I still don't know what to eat for breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, if that's the test, right? If, if yeah. I don't know what to, we talk about health is a daily choice. Every single decision you make, every minute of the day will change the way your genes express themselves. Yeah. So true. And so your, does your report include the recommendations for what the, um, the client should do going forward? Or does your practitioner come up with that with the client? It's a bit of both. It's yep. a bit of both. So we do what we, we have 36 pathways, things like, for example, glucose, insulin, methylation, inflammation, um, endurance training. I'm just thinking of top folate. So 36 across different, different cognitive mood. Um, and we will highlight for you in the report, what are the three areas that have come up as having the highest genetic impact that yep. you need to focus on? And yep. we will give guidelines on what those diet, lifestyle and supplement recommendations should be. Fantastic. However, they are guidelines. Yeah. Because the practitioner will then take those guidelines, as well as everything they know about you, as well as all the knowledge that they've gained through being a practitioner, and they will then come up with a final recommendation of saying, so we give guidelines as kind of a way to guide the practitioner, but not tell them what to do, because we don't know who you are. Yeah. And, and also we have a brilliant uh, practitioner portal where every practitioner has access to a clinical guide. It's, I call it like, it's like the Google of nutrigenomics. Oh, where you wow. can type in a gene or type in a pathway and you will get all the recommendations, diet, lifestyle supplements. You'll get information about the genes. You'll get information about what other tests should I do if I find I've got this pathway, what foods, you know, contribute to histamine. So they have a huge amount of access to multiple levels of education, but also any, any any more recommendations but our job is not to tell the patient what to eat that's actually the practitioner's job yeah that makes sense and you mentioned before how um, the difference between the direct to consumer and then the one that you've created which is going through the practitioner would you say the ones that are going direct to the consumer are a lot more simplified just from the sense that they're not getting as in-depth information and obviously not, not learning how to apply it or what would you say the main difference between them are? Yeah. So I think that's a major thing. So there's two things happen. The one is that um, if you do not know, so there's, there's a value proposition. Yeah. So if I'm building a direct to consumer report, I have to be really careful about what I'm saying because I have no idea who you are. True. So what happens to a lot of the DTC reports is they get dumbed down a huge amount. Yeah. Because you can't yeah. say, you know, well, we think you have an increased susceptibility to get diabetes and you need to enact. It's like, well, can we say that? Should we say that? What happens if this creates anxiety for them? Yeah. So you land up dumbing down the DTC reports a huge amount. That's yeah. the first thing. The second thing is there's just, there's very little value. So when you buy a DTC report, you're buying data, you're buying yeah. your results but you actually have no integration and it's integration that creates value, right? That's Absolutely. the translational value. So yeah. I've, I've done as, you know, as every single geneticist I can get my hands on, I do. And I'm always completely underwhelmed. I always have a sense of could have just gone onto Google <laughs> um, and kind of Googled healthy eating. And I probably would have landed up with the same recommendations. Yeah. And so even if you pay $29, $29.99 for your genetic test. And you go, this is awesome because I had 10,000 genes tested. I only paid 
the value you're getting for that $29.99 is worthless. Yeah. So when we think about genetics, it should not be about the price point, but about the value to you. Oh, absolutely. Because if you, you can have 10,000 genes tested and get a lot of data, but no value. Yeah. You can get 134 genes tested, but every single one was handpicked, is relevant to you, and we know how to translate it, then it might be $250, but we're creating value. Yeah. So for me, the conversation in genetics has been the wrong conversation. It's yeah. been about price. So what happened was once technology got super awesome in genetics, people were doing these ridiculous tests. So we can test in our platform 655,000 genes. Yeah, wow. But I only include 134 in our test. Yeah. Because in my opinion, those 134 are the only ones right now, and it'll change, that are scientifically well-researched yeah. and clinically useful to me, the practitioner. Yeah. So what happened was the, the, the marketing departments of all these genetic testing companies like, awesome, we're testing 200,000 genes and it's only for $99. And that sounds amazing, right? Yeah. Except when you get the report, you're like, well, I kind of knew this stuff. And I get it in a newsletter like every other week. And, <laughs> and, but actually, I, don't, I can't eat vegetables. And all they're telling me to do is eat vegetables, but I get sick if I eat vegetables. So it's like, well, they don't know who I am. Yeah. That was like, so, so I think that that is the major problem we have. And until we can figure out how to, I'm not saying that DTC will never be solved mm. because there must be a way to interact with you using technology to find out who you are, what your health goals. And when we can integrate that information about you into a gene test, then we can solve this problem. Yeah. But right now we have in no way solved the problem. Yeah. It's so fascinating. It's such an incredible tool for practitioners to really help deepen their understanding of the client sitting in front of them and the right recommendations. It's really taking that personalization to another level. It's personalized medicine. It's personalized nutrition. It's, as you well know, it's the absolute future is, you know, yeah. we, we are heading into what they call precision medicine or personalized medicine and genetics is obviously foundational. You know, yeah. it's your baseline. Yeah, you absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so interesting so let's chat a little bit about what your current career looks like we've heard about all about the amazing things you've created but what would a current day and a current week for you look like are you still doing a lot of research are you doing a lot of education still is it more behind the scenes admin stuff like yeah what's it like today luckily not admin stuff so <laughs> what's yeah so as the company grew I got to do more of what I wanted to do yeah so when I started I was doing admin legal finance HR looking for investors building the science wow. and one of the amazingly exciting things of companies growing and getting investors is we yeah. now have an extraordinary science team who spend their days reading journal articles which is obviously how it began yeah um and, and, and they're all brilliant geneticists, scientists in their own right. We yeah. have a clinical team who, um, who obviously I head up, but who are brilliant, what I call expert nutrigenomic practitioners, who've probably done two, 3,000 genetic reports in their life. Wow. So which I started out doing, now I don't do that anymore. Yeah. We have an education team who actually build the education modules. So they build the modules. Yeah. And then we have obviously operations and... Um, you know, all of that stuff. So yeah. what I get to do is I get to talk. Brilliant. I get to, to teach. So I do a, a huge amount of um, webinars. Yeah. 
different organizations. Um, obviously, podcasts like this, I write a lot of articles. Um, so my job, I always say, is like spreading the word now because I can, you know, is trying to share this vision and this dream that genetics, you know, can be part of everyone's life and, and have value. So mm. obviously, I'm involved at a strategic level of what of, of building the genetic test, what it was going to look like. I obviously, I'm the chief science officer, so I have oversight of all the science that's done. Like nothing gets out without me approving it. Um, and same with the clinical team. I have clinical oversight, but I have a mentorship team. So I get to work with these extraordinary people who, who have gone on to be more expert than me. So our clinical team is way more expert because I stopped being a clinician a long time ago. Yeah. They, they, I defer to them. They are my expertise. And the same with our geneticists. So yeah. for me, it's about, um, yeah, I just, I write, I talk, I teach a lot. Yeah. Um, I teach for a lot of different organizations, not only universities, but functional nutrition and functional medicine organizations. Yeah. Um, get to talk to people like you a lot. And obviously I write articles, um, still try and publish yeah. and, um, but, I, but I'm not doing the um, detailed stuff. I'm not doing the um, original research. I'm really more about the industry and how we can fix this industry. So my big vision and my next five years definitely is how can we improve the genetic testing industry and practitioners to make them experts in the space so that they can own the space. So that's like my mission for the next five years because we need to take back the industry away from that DTC low value. And yeah. we need to tell the consumer why they can expect more from their genetics and what is it that they can expect. So, so that's, that's my job. Cut nine. Really yeah. nice actually. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. You really have come become more of like the visionary overseeing and yeah, really spreading that word. It's so incredible. And it's great that you're getting that word out there because it is so valuable of, as we've seen and heard about. Um, so what would your advice be to fellow practitioners who do want to learn more about nutrigenomics and start going down that avenue and learning more about the field? Yeah, look, you know, it's, everything starts with education. You know, yeah. you can't get away from it. We didn't get taught it in our degrees. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you're a naturopath or a homeopath, a doctor, dietitian, I don't care. I know you didn't get taught it, right? Yeah. So we've got to go seek out educational opportunities. And we need to be a little bit careful because they're not a lot of great ones. Mm. And universities haven't done a great job of offering. And often you have to do a whole master's degree to get a single module in nutrigenomics, which is insane. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, when you, when you, um, you, so I would say like, go, go get it. Like, okay, I'm not, you know, obviously my course, but my course is actually a really nice entry level one to yeah. see whether this is something that, just excites you like is this you've, you've maybe heard me talk about it and you're like well is it as exciting as she says it is what's the difference between nutrigenetics and nutrigenomics yep. does nutrition really change gene expression so we have a foundational course like really low-key it's two to three months and very part-time yep. you do it in your own time you're self-paced and at the end of that you'll have a really good sense of whether this is something that really excites you and yep. you want to take it further or whether that was great to know, and now you know, because I, I say everyone should be able to read a journal article around nutrigenomics. Yeah. Because every single journal now has nutrigenomics, right? Yeah. So, you know, you, every conference has nutrigenomics. So even if you do the course, just so that you're part of the conversation, yeah. you don't necessarily have to go out and be an expert. So for me, education is everything. The second thing is find a community, yeah. find a tribe, 
where this conversation is happening. If yep. you know nothing about genetics, it's not too late. Yep. Dip your toe in. You know, everyone thinks that it's intimidating and it's overwhelming. There are thousands of practitioners who do not know what a SNP is. Yeah. And it's a journey, you know, and I always see us as like pioneers walking on this journey. And yes, I'm at 20 years into it, but, you know, we all started by not knowing what a SNP was, including me. Yeah. So just because the reality is, if you're in healthcare, in health sciences, and you do not know about genetics, you are being left behind. Mm. You may choose not to practice it, mm -hmm. but if you don't understand it, you will, you are not, you will be left behind. You are completely being left behind. Yeah. So at least make sure you're part of the conversation that you understand the conversation. So there's some really good functional nutrition groups that talk about nutrition. We'll be launching a big community in the next couple of months that will not be about selling tests, but will just be about community education. Brilliant. So keep an eye out for that. You don't have to sell tests with us. You don't have to live in America to be part of the community, but yep. we've realized that we need to give everyone a place that to come to where they can be having this conversation. Yeah. So, so in the next probably, I think quarter, we'll be launching that community and that is an open yeah. community. You can work with any company's genetic test in the world and still come and join our community. Oh, so, you know, find your tribe and get some education. Those would be my two pieces of advice. Yeah, that's brilliant. And that sounds really great that you are offering that community because I know one of the things that can be hard in the nutrition field is having one place you go to find reliable information. So having that and knowing you can get all the genetic information from there, that would be yeah, a really cool resource to have. That's brilliant. Safe, a safe place to go yeah. to meet like-minded practitioners yeah. and to get answers that are safe and trustworthy. And I think that's what's missing in the industry. And that, you know, I, I, that's, that's, and you said, what's my next five years? Like that is the next yeah. five years, you know, a global community of, 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 of practitioners who feel that they, in a place that they can trust and that they can work together. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. I look forward to seeing that being built up and yeah, learning from it myself, because I agree, like it's so important to learn about nutrigenomics and I don't know enough about it. So yeah, this has been a really good inspiration to be like, this is actually a really incredible topic and so valuable to everything we do. So time to dive in deeper. And on the note of further education, if you could recommend one book for every listener to read, what would it be and why? Hmm. One. All right, I'll tell you one of my, I know it may not be obvious, mm -hmm. but the one, one realization I had is, um, so there's a brilliant author called Daniel Pink. And Daniel yep. Pink has written many books, but mm -hmm. the one book that was, as health professionals, yep. we do not believe that selling is our job. Yep. And I'm not talking about selling a test, mm -hmm. because what I realized is we are all about behavioral change. Yes. We are all about getting people to change their daily behavior. Yeah. And if that isn't selling, then I don't know what is. Yeah. So we as health professionals need to grow up and we need to acknowledge that we are not successful by just having content knowledge. We only successful. And, and the reality is we haven't done very well in change of behavior. Yeah. I mean, we really haven't, if we're honest with ourselves. So I love um, Daniel Pink's book, To Sell is Human. Because what it makes us realize is that every single time we sit with a patient and we're giving them some advice, we're yeah. selling. Yeah. So that's the book that I would recommend. 
That is such a good point. It's so interesting when you put it that way and um, liken it to sales because it really is. And it's such, yeah, such a good way to look at it because you think about it and like, yeah, we are changing behaviors, but I had never made that link between sales. Facebook, um, yeah. We actually yeah. did a whole webinar um, because you know, practitioners are terrified of being seen as being salespeople. Yeah. But if you're entirely selling, we're selling a healthy lifestyle. We're yeah, selling we diet. <laughs> and if we don't if we don't know how to sell, our patients are not gonna do anything. Yeah. So we need a complete shift in our thinking. Otherwise, we're not gonna have an impact. And everything we do is well, everything in my world, and I'm sure in yours as well, is about having an impact. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. Such a good point. And do you have any quick tips about how you can help with that behavioral change and selling these healthy lifestyle changes and healthy diets to people? Oh, I think, I think it's, I mean, obviously I'm a big believer in genetics because genetics is so personal. You know, when, when someone sees a healthy recommendation to eat vegetables, they're like, I've been seeing that my whole life. Yeah. (laughs) When, When you say, well, your DNA, it's not my DNA. My DNA didn't say that your DNA has told me that yep. you need to eat vegetables because of this reason. Mm. It makes it, it truly personal. So genetics isn't only about the value of the information. It's about the value of the behavioral change that happens when someone yeah. knows that their DNA is for life. Yeah. So, you know, just, you know, that's just one of the ways that I work with people when I'm saying like, you know what, this stuff is important. It's yeah. your DNA, not mine. Yeah. It's taking it a whole level deeper, isn't it? It's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Really good point. Awesome. Well, I could talk about this forever, but (laughs) we're already at the hour mark. So before we wrap up, I would love if you have any parting words of advice or wisdom for the listeners today. So, you know, obviously it's been an amazing journey. So I would just say, you know, um, when I look back and sometimes I have to pinch myself and say like how amazing and a journey, but actually there were so many dark times. Yeah. And I think, you know, um, and I did reference them, you know, that, it's those, I always say, like, it's a terrible cliche, but it's, I, I t- take comfort in discomfort. Yes. Because when the discomfort comes, that the change happens. Yeah. And if I hadn't had discomfort, I would never have been where I am at the moment. Yeah. So the worst times, the hardest times where I felt most, most lost, where I had no answers, are the times that actually spurred change in my life and yeah. spurred action. Yeah. So I'm all about, yeah. so, you know, I always say, like, just, be, be courageous, be bold, Yeah. work through that yeah. discomfort because actually that's where the learning happens mm-hmm. and don't listen to what other people say, really. If I'd listened to other people, you know, I don't know what I would be doing now, but probably yeah. wouldn't be in nutrition. That's so true. Imagine if back when you were first learning about genetics and all that and people were sort of like laughing at you and looking down on you, like imagine if you had to change your mind, you wouldn't have done all of this incredible revolutionary stuff. Okay, in you're so lucky. How did you know genetics was going to be important? I'm like, yeah, I was really lucky. Look, I do think luck has something to do with it, you know, but I don't think that's the point. I think is that, you know, you don't just wake up lucky. Yeah. You know, it's when things are tough and you don't have the answers you're looking for and you go seeking those answers. And I think that's where the really cool stuff happens. Yeah. What a way to end it. That's incredible. Um, and before we do wrap up, importantly, where can people find you and learn more about all that you're offering and doing in this industry? Because yeah, you're right. yeah. even if, you know, even if you're not in the state and you can't get the test, you can still be part of our community and our education. Yeah. So it's um, yeah. uh, 3x4genetics.com. Yep. Um, you can always email info at 3x4genetics.com. 
Fantastic. And um, if you really want to get hold of me, it's cal3exportgenetics.com. Brilliant. That's incredible. Yeah, well, I'm sure we'll all be watching your journey and um, learning from you as you continue to offer so much incredible value to the world. So thank you so much for joining me today. It has been such a pleasure. Um, yeah, and I'm sure everyone has learned just as much as I have. It's been brilliant. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I feel like I gained so much valuable insight and advice from it, and I hope you agree. If you did enjoy this episode, please leave me a review and tell me what you think. I would love to hear your feedback. Do you know anyone else that this episode can benefit? I would be so grateful if you share it with them. That way, they too can benefit from all of the insight that we covered today. Your support means so much to me, and together we can help even more people build a career and a life that they love. Thank you for being here. Until next time, keep making your dreams a reality. Thank you.